Hello and welcome. If you're hearing more of my voice, that means you're listening to Two Beers, Please, <laughs> the podcast. You're hearing my voice. Welcome to the Danger Zone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is your podcast for some smooth jazz. So we're oh, going to get. <laughs> that's actually that's the passion project. We really are trying to to get off its feet, but we figured we'd start with sports and then exactly pivot. This, this the sounds- obvious pivot from sports to smooth jazz that has you know been done by so many professionals before. I mean, really, I Sammy Davis Jr. was writing about was writing about baseball. That's what he started with. <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but that's what he started with. Anyway, welcome to Two Beers, Please. My name is Yannick. Accompanying me is my buddy, Matthew. We are excited to be here. We've got a lot to cover. If this is your first time listening, welcome aboard. What took you so long? I don't I know. You. What, but we are glad to have you. Uh, I'm going to plug a couple of our sites at the beginning of this episode rather than the end just so you have to hear it and uh yeah we've got a twitter site that is just blowing up right now it's got all the minute to minute updates of the sports news in the world and that you can find that as at 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 two uh tbp underscore podcast that's two bp underscore podcast the number two not spelled out that is the Twitter site. We also have an Instagram site at two beers, please underscore podcast. We're also on Facebook. We're on Spotify. We're on Anchor. And you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And that's where you can find us. So we hope that you continue to join us and welcome. And really, what a time to join us because when we started, we had nothing to talk about. We were, <laughs> we were truly, we were truly dragging it out of our butts. Just truly dragging right. out of our butts. Every single pick in the first round of the NFL draft, because there's nothing else. Right. I was when I was editing that, I was like, I think Matthew, we talked about 17th round pick for about 10 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> and I just was, it was wow. It was a sad time. It was a really nice Blood. episode, but it was a sad time. It was yeah. a sad time to be alive. But we've got so much to talk about today. The NHL and NBA playoffs are in full steam ahead zone. And you also have the Europa League and Champions League finals going to be decided in the next two days, as well as a bombastic UFC lineup this past Saturday. Great word. Before, bombastic, right? Yeah. I, I, I love that word. And... If I don't use it every episode, I'm going to be very upset. We're going to have to start doing like a Sesame Street word of the day. And today's is bombastic. Oh, you know what, Matthew? I think that's a great idea. (laughs) I'm going to pivot really quickly and just give you bombastic is an adjective. And it means high sounding and inflated. So that's what it means. I never knew the the actual definition for bombastic. So, you know, even, even I'm learning something here. Right. Well, here's something, though. I used it incorrectly, it looks like, because it also means with little meaning. And let me tell you, there's a lot of meaning yeah. in the UFC lineup. So, well, you know, language how- changes. Exactly. But your word of the day is bombastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Anyway, how are we feeling, Matthew? How are you doing today? It's a Tuesday. How are we doing? I'm doing I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day here. Um, counting down the days till I'm back in the city. There's a little bit of like anxiety it, it feels like when i like right before i'm about to go back it's going to be like a sunday scaries on steroids 
It's a nice little race for you. Like, just like, because I've been gone, it'll be like six months. And um, so it's there's a little bit of, of uh, anxiety into it, but I'm, I'm excited to get back. I love the city. Uh, as you mentioned before, you know, when we started doing this, it was, we were grasping at straws on what to talk about. And mostly both of us were just like, dude, we miss each other. We miss sports. Let's figure something out. Um, and I think we've hopefully gotten a little better, a little more polished. And as you mentioned before, we got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And so everybody that's given us a listen or a review or a follow or a like, whatever you've done, we really do appreciate it because, um, I just, I mean, it just means a lot to us. We've put in some good work here and, and a lot of work and it's enjoyable for us, but it's also enjoyable to see some, some hard work, get a little feedback in that way. So Sunday scaries, but, uh, also very appreciative today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. It's been so great talking to you over the last couple of weeks, and we hope to continue to do it for several, several weeks more. Are we? <laughs> we're not, not going to like shoot too high. You know, like go, we don't, we don't. A few more weeks if we can do it, we'll take it. Well, Matthew, I, I'm just, for me, I don't know about you, for me, the election in November, I don't know if anything's going to happen past then. I can't think of anything happening past the November election. So I have to, we have to sports pace ourselves a little bit. And, um, and me talking. Yeah. Well, sports and me talking about sports and me thinking I know more than I do. I, I, it doesn't matter what happens that, that that's a constant in this world. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that's very true. But uh, you do know how I feel and I appreciate you having the same sentiment. <laughs> What are we drinking today? Dude, I'm going with I'm going just with just the summer classic, the Line and Kugel Summer Shandy. A nice and simple beer. I wish I don't know why I don't drink any other Line and Kugel beer. I don't know why they only make it in the summer. I understand it is, you know, summer shandy and it does go great in the summer, but I drink this thing year round. So Line and Kugel, please just start making summer shandy 12 months of the year. But uh it does hit well in the summertime. What do you what do you sip it on? Well, you know, I was thinking there is a chance for it to be an all-German Champions League final. So might as well pick something with German hops to celebrate the historic occasion. So I went with the Crisp from Six Point Brewery. Again, staying within New nice. York. And it's it's supposed to be really good. I'm going to try it right now. I'm going to have this really close to the microphone so you can hear. Oh, yeah. Oh, Yeah. Dude, I'm gonna go on a big New York brewery like roll when I get back, and I'm with you. Oh, that is good. There's nothing like a little German hops. That's good. Thank you, Six Point Brewery, for making my drinking experience much more frequent. Anyway, the question of the day tonight: the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Portland Trail Blazers—a matchup more exciting than most one versus eight matchups in the past. And I have a question for you. And this is very, you know, this is a dream because we all know the Portland Trail Blazers are not going to push the Los Angeles Lakers to a game seven. They do not they have. They might. They might. They might. But I just, I will see. But in the occasion that they do, would you rather see Dame Dalla hit a buzzer beater three to send LeBron home or see LeBron James hit a buzzer beater three to keep the Lakers in the playoffs. You know, I think I have to go with, with Dame Lillard hitting a three. I mean, first off Dame is like, 
he's always fun watching hitting a, a, a game winner and sending people bye bye in the playoffs. He's done it to the Rockets. He's done it to the Thunder. Um, but I think more so, I say Damian Lillard hitting the three because it, it's more fun to see the upset on on the buzzer beater. I mean, only five times have the eight, has the eight seed beaten the one seed. Only three of those times were in a seven game series, and never in that has it gone to game seven. Um, which I think there's a better chance of that happening now because there's you know no real home court. Um, so right. I, I'm going I'm going Dame Lillard hitting hitting the three because just more so the the upset factor with it would be more like oh wow and that's how the Lakers go out. And like you said, this isn't like even those other like upsets like the Warriors in 2007 when they beat the Mavs it was a much bigger upset than I think this would be. But I'm going Dame. What about you? You see, normally in a situation where I am given the choice between the upset and the not upset, regardless of who's involved, I always go with the upset. I am an upset underdog boy, if nothing else, in my life. How can you not be? How can you not be? However, what a upset for the Los Angeles Lakers would unfortunately do to LeBron James's reputation, I wouldn't want to see. I think... We've talked about it. There's so much riding on this. I mean, I think LeBron James deserves a lot more credit in the greatest of all time conversation than he gets. And you know, if he went out in the first round to the Trailblazers, I don't know if he can recover from that uh, in that conversation. I think that his first first round exit, too. Yeah, but they would hold it against him. They would say, absolutely, they would. So I think I would much rather see a tough game against the Trailblazers. It looks like LeBron's not going to do it. Put the team on his back, take that buzzer beater three, and the Lakers go on. And I think it'd be more exciting because I think the Lakers actually have a shot of going all the way where I don't think the Blazers have that shot. Yeah, that's a good point. It would be like it would be like one of the one of the memories and one of the big moments of like their run to the title. Exactly, because LeBron's become an assist man right now. Of course, he still scores, but he's become the assist man. So in a game like that, to show that he can still be the scorer, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see. But I think it's – if we get either of those, I will be happy. (laughs) I will be very happy. God dang it. The other one hit the buzzer beater? How lame. Darn it. What am I supposed to do with the Dame dollar three at the end? What am I supposed to do with that, people? Oh, my. What a crappy game seven. What a crappy game seven. What was even the point of the other six games? My gosh. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to move right into it because we have so much to talk about, and we would rather talk about it than – hear us talk about dumb stuff. So let's get right into it. I'm going to start us off. The NHL playoffs, well and truly on their way. In the at, in the East and the West, there's good action everywhere. Let me take you through where we are right now, starting in the West with my favorite series of the West so far, the Calgary Flames versus the Dallas Stars. What a series. It's tied at two. Obviously, on Sunday, you had Joe Pavelski scoring a hat trick, the last of those being in the final seconds of regulation so the Stars could tie the series with an overtime win. And yeah, it it, it didn't really look like the Stars were going to be this formidable in this series, especially after the first game. And they just kind of, they stick around and they come to bite the Flames in two different games. And I think that's the big thing to learn about the Stars is you can't count them out until they're out. You know, do... 
the stars have a chance of of winning. I mean, and that's so crazy to talk about because the stars are the higher seed. So of course they should have a chance of winning. I just think the Flames are so good right now. They truly are. Their power plays on fire. I mean, they're two for four. Uh, they went two for four on Sunday, thanks to Sam Bennett and Johnny Hockey. And they are at the top of the entire NHL in terms of power play efficiency with the Vancouver Canucks. They have four shorthanded goals, which you don't ever see. So they're good even when they're, you know, back against the wall there. Sam Bennett's playing ridiculous. He's got a magnificent beard. I love it. And yeah, he's got he had two goals on Sunday. He's got three goals in this series. I think game five, the big decision is going to be, does Matthew to uh, Chuck, I always say that name wrong, will Matthew to Tuck play? He's a game time decision. If he plays, obviously, I think the Flames have a much better shot. I do still take the Flames in this one, but it's tied at two and anything can happen. We move on. Chicago Blackhawks playing arguably the best team in the in the league, definitely the best team in the West, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And this this series looked done and dusted. It was three to zero. It looked like it was going to be a typical one versus twelve seed, but the Blackhawks avoided elimination. Three one win on the back of a forty six save stellar performance by goalkeeper Corey Crawford. We'd love to see it. Does this mean anything, Matthew? It does not. The Golden Knights are the best team in the West, and they will win tonight, and they will clinch the round two. Uh, but it was good to see the Blackhawks not get swept. I never let, like seeing a team get swept. Yeah. It's unfortunate. And I thought this game or another game I'm going to be talking about, we're both going to get swept, and neither of them did. So very happy to see competition in both of those. But, I mean, the Golden Knights are so crazy. If they don't come out of the West, I don't know who will. Uh, actually, you know what? Maybe I do know who will because the next game we're going to talk about is the Colorado Avalanche versus Ooh. the Arizona Coyotes. Hot last night. Hot last night, a seven to one victory. I mean, they are just clearly the better side. And on top of, you know, you look at seven goals, you're like, wow, amazing offense. No, 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 no. What's gotten them through is their defense. They've only allowed five goals in four games in comparison to scoring 17. So, like, you can't win games like that. You know, the Coyotes had their one win, which was great. They don't get swept. Are they going to do anything? No. Avalanche are going to get the next game, complete that. They're the only team that I really see competing against the Golden Knights. But, of course, you do still have the reigning champions, St. Louis Blues, are still in it. And, I mean, who would have thought they grabbed two wins back-to-back Sunday and Monday to tie the series up? O'Reilly with two goals and assists in that last game. I mean, they look hot. And the Canucks, who have been also looking good, they're in trouble. So I, I don't really I don't really know how you stop the momentum of a reigning champion when they come back to back. That's really hard to do, being 2-0 down and coming back 2-2. That's real hard to do, especially in hockey. Hockey's we saw, that, we saw what they could do when they got hot last year, too. Exactly. And it's they're getting hot at the right time. I'm not counting them out. I don't think they're as good of a team as the Avalanche or the Golden Knights. But they do, they do get hot at the right time, and that's what matters sometimes. So I'm not counting the Blues out, and they are obviously still in their series. We'll see if they can make it three for three. Now let's move to the East, and just to get my bias out of the way, the Boston Bruins are three to one up on the Hurricanes, and Jake DeBrus scored two goals in the third as the Bruins came back from two zero down to win four to three on Monday. Their top line, still not at their best. 
still not at their best, but their secondary line is doing so well that they can afford to not be at their best. And Brad Marchand looks a little more like Brad Marchand. He's getting into fights all the time. We love to see. And yeah, I, I the Canes are a good team, obviously. They've shown that in the kind of play-in series of the post-corona comeback. But without Svechnikov, you know, he didn't play this last game. I don't know if he'll be back for the rest of the series. Without Svechnikov, it makes it really hard for them to compete against the Bruins over an entire game. You know, that's what happened last time. You know, they had the lead, but then the Bruins in the third, they just came back and it was really hard to stop them. And yeah, obviously the big news out of of Boston, Tuka Rask opting out, you know, midway through, you know, a series yeah, that I was you. You. Do you think do you think that hurts him in maybe not so much a series, but in the long run to to become champions? I don't think. I think that so much our 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 defense is good enough where the goalie obviously it hurts, right? It hurts to have the goalie out that is your starter that you're used to being. It's not even the new starter; it's like a well-established Boston starter. It's hard. I think Halak is is very decent. They're two and zero since he took over goalie, so I think. They are probably fine for the most part. It does hurt, obviously. I don't think it hurts as much as people think. I think Tukarask has kind of been not been the great goalie that he used to be. So I don't think he, you know, he's not Corey Crawford. He's not Vasilevsky, who like is such an integral part of the defense. He's good. And like, yes, his decision making and his leadership will be missed, but I think Halak can keep up. I think it hurts, but they can weather the storm. Right. Yeah. I think if yeah. they become if they're going to become champions, they have to perform in other areas that don't involve goalie. Like, I think that's not going to be the reason they don't become champions. And if they're in the final, if they're in the final, I think that the goalie situation isn't going to matter. I think they have other things they have to worry about, such as playing either the Lightning or the Blue Jackets, who have arguably the best series of the entire first round of the NHL. Obviously had that, how do you say this word, quintuple overtime in the first in the first game. <laughs> Kintuple, is that what you say? I don't really know. But they are the Lightning are currently up three to one on the Blue Jackets. On Monday, Vasilevsky had 28 saves. They they beat the Blue Jackets two to one in that game, leave them on the brink of elimination. Are the Blue Jackets as bad as three to one suggests? Absolutely not. Just the Lightning are doing really well defensively. They've only allowed six goals in four games. You know, Vasilevsky is averaging 32.5 saves a game. You know, Yanni Gord and Braden Point are doing the offensive work for Tampa Bay. And but it's really just a lot of low scoring, you know, defensive slogs between the two. So it's it, it it's really a good series, but it's just really hard to score for either team. So whoever gets two goals, it's almost over at that point. And I think that the Lightning are going to be really hard to beat three to one down. But I don't put it past the Blue Jackets. I just think the Lightning probably have it done there. And finally... The last matchup in the East. Who saw this coming? The Flyers are up 2-1 to one against the Canadians, right? And they should be. They're the number one seed in the East. But the Flyers have not been playing well. They've not been playing well. They've been playing like ass. I don't know how else to say it. That's how they've been <laughs> playing. They've been playing, they've been playing like ass. They have two wins, right? Both have only been by one goal, and they're the number one seed. Let me remind you, they're the number one seed, right? And in their loss, they lost 5-0 to zero last Friday, <clears throat> right? Carter Hart's playing great goalkeeping for the Flyers, but they, I mean, they need offensive help. They have three goals in three games. That's for a number one seed. That's ridiculous. And besides Voracek, their star players, Giroux, Couturier, Konechny, Lawton, 
all these great players combined two assists. That's all they have across all of them. Two assists. That's it. And it's just that can't be. That can't be. And whoever they play is going to kick their butts if they play like that. So do I even think that they're going to come out? I don't really know because you know who's doing even worse offensively than the Flyers? The Canadians. I mean, really, they had the one game where they exploded, but they're not creating enough chances to score. And I just think it's going to be really hard to beat the Flyers regardless of how bad the Flyers are playing if they don't start to create more chances. And they're just lucky Carey Price is playing so well. But like the Flyers just have a classic case of I need a perfect shot syndrome, and I'm sick of it. You have the shot, you take the shot. That is the rule in every sport, maybe not basketball, but every other sport. You have the shot, you take the shot. And you can't you can't just hope that Carey Price falls down and the goal's open. You know, you have to take the shot. And that's the thing with the Flyers in this series. So we shall see. But lots of exciting things going on in the NHL, and we are excited to see it move on to round two. And the land, don't forget the Landers, 3-0. Oh my goodness. I knew I was missing one. I was like, where is my thing? The Landers. Dude, the Yeah, thank you so much, New my York, buddy. Baby. New York Islanders. And like, honestly, who saw this coming? You know who saw this coming? We saw this coming. True. We Except I don't think we would have, I don't think either of us probably would have put money on the fact that like this could be the only first round sweep. Right, exactly. Obviously against the capitals of all teams with Ovechkin and obviously, you know, all of their history uh, in the recent history, not even in the like long-term history, but yeah, they're up three to uh, three to zero. They beat the capitals four to two and five to two and then squeak by them on Sunday in overtime, but still grab the win when they needed to. Their offense is high flying. And I just think the capitals are, you know, they're lacking an offensive point, it seems. Like, they really can't score as as fluidly as they want. Even the goals that they grab seem to be a lot of less good play and more just, like, situational goals. So you want to see the Capitals come back. Obviously, you don't want to see Ovechkin go out in the first round. But the New York Islanders look like one of the hottest teams in the NHL playoffs right now. And I think whatever team gets them is not going to be happy. So, go Landers! Heck yeah, baby. We know how much seeding like does not matter in the NHL. So like the fact that they were, I guess, even technically the seven, now the six seed, like I just don't it just doesn't really matter. It just matters who's playing the best. Yeah, absolutely. And, and especially probably, like, even more so now where like home court isn't or home ice isn't a thing. Right. I mean, it's really just who's the better team. That's just like what it is. There's no home there's no home home rink advantage. And there is the seating, especially the one through four seating, just didn't matter. I mean, you had the Flyers finish first, and they're the worst team in the East right now in terms of the teams that are in the lead. So we'll see what happens. But I'm excited. Lots of great teams playing well. Lots of surprising teams playing well. And uh, it should be fun, especially the next round. You're going to have some killer matchups. Yeah, it feels it feels like, like anybody's cup at this moment, even like with some of the the favorites in, I'd say, Vegas, Colorado, Tampa Bay, but uh, I don't think any of them are like head and shoulders above the field by any means. No, absolutely not. Yeah, the Golden Knights are probably the one team that I think it's hard to match up against in over seven games, but every other team I think has a chance. Every other team. For sure. Well, we move on over to another uh, high combat sport. UFC 252 was this weekend, one of the, the biggest fights in UFC history, we will, of course, get to that matchup. 
Uh, going to start with the bonuses of the night. Kai Kamaka versus Tony Kelly received the Fight of the Night Award. Uh, Kamaka earning a unanimous decision victory in, in his first fight in the UFC. Came out aggressive, and Kelly didn't really back down. It was, it was. I mean, I think Kai controlled the fight um, and deservedly got the win, but it was a real uh, back-and-forth fight. Both fighters kind of making adjustments here and there, and a well-deserved fight from those guys. Um, as for the performances of the night, we had Virna Jandaroba and Daniel Pineda taking those home. Jandaroba got a first-round armbar submission over Felice Herrig in the women's strawweight division, while Pineda TKO'd Herbert Burns uh, with some vicious elbows in the second round of their catchweight division fight. So congratulations to those two fighters and, and to the fight of the night. A well, well-earned $50,000 for, for you guys. As for the bigger fights in the night, we're going to start with the third fight of the main card. Jarzino Rosenstruck bounced back from his loss to Francis Ngannou when Ngannou kind of just dominated him. Uh, but Rosenstruck bounced back this weekend with a nice TKO over Junius de Santos. His beautiful mustache, unfortunately, could not help him. Uh, it was a nice TKO by Rosenstruck in the second round. Just solid fight overall from Rosenstruck. Um, and he got a nice combo and got JDS on the ground. And, and once he got him on the ground, he didn't didn't let him get up and just threw a barrage of punches and put the fight away. So a nice bounce back win for Rosenstruck. We'll see what he does next in the heavyweight. Yeah, he's he's a beast. Big Bobby. Beast. Big Bobby. All right. The the upset of the night. Sean O'Malley came into his fight 13-0 and was around a, a minus 330 favorite in Vegas. Um, and Marlon Vera got the big upset victory with a first round TKO as he pounced on O'Malley when O'Malley hit the ground and just elbows, punches, got the knockout. I think the fight was, you know, most highlighted by the right calf injury that O'Malley sustained when Vera checked a leg kick, which, I mean, it changed the, the entire comp- uh, composition of the fight. Well-deserved win by Vera. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from him, but you you have to assume that if O'Malley stays healthy, if O'Malley doesn't injure his calf like he did, the fight would have looked a little different. But regardless, I mean, O'Malley was, was a big favorite in this one, and it – the fight didn't play out like that even from the start, even when he was healthy. Vera was was fighting really, really well. So we wish O'Malley a nice recovery. Hopefully he'll get back on there, kind of get back on the horse because he's someone still to watch out for in the UFC. Um, but a nice victory for Vera. And, of course, the big one. After splitting their first two fights, Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier battled one more time to end the trilogy um, probably the biggest storyline from the fight was the inadvertent eye poke Cormier suffered in the third round that really hurt his ability to see out of his, his right eye. You know, it hurt Cormier. It, he, he just wasn't full strength. He wasn't able to, to do what he wanted to do. He even said after the fight that he was basically blind out of that eye, which, you know, <laughs> makes it difficult to battle anyone, let alone a guy like Stipe Miocic. But regardless, I, I mean, I think Stipe looked as good as he's ever looked. Uh, much better even than the last fight, which he won with a fourth-round knockout. I thought Stipe was was really strong throughout um, and would, would have obviously liked Daniel to stay healthy throughout the fight. But I think Stipe – I think anyway, I think Stipe would have won. Uh, got the unanimous decision to defend the heavyweight title and keeps on building that legacy as perhaps the greatest heavyweight fighter in UFC history. Um, after the fight, sad news from the UFC – 
as kind of expected, though. I mean, I think we all knew it. Daniel Cormier is 41 years old, officially retires from the UFC. Um, as I said, sad day for the sport of MMA, sad day for the sports world. He's the first person to ever hold the heavyweight and the light heavyweight titles. 22-3 and three record, and I'd, I'd say he's top five greatest fighters of all time. Personally, for me, George St. Pierre is, is the greatest of all time, but I think, I think Cormier is at least in the top five. Um, and luckily for a guy like him, he's, he's already doing commentating for ESPN for the UFC, so he's not going far. Um, and other big news out of the UFC, John Bones Jones has vacated the light heavyweight title, and there are rumors that his next fight will probably be at heavyweight. Um, so I think there's a good chance that Stipe's next fight will be against Bones Jones, which, I mean, if Bones Jones wins that one, even if Stipe wins that one, I think both of them start really cementing their status as not just, you know, best fighters in their weight class, but best fighters ever. Um, so we'll see. We'll keep you up to date on any new information coming out of the UFC about where Bones Jones is going next, but his his roller coaster of a career is is continuing ups downs. Who knows what he's doing? But uh, I'd love to see that heavyweight fight. And a congratulations to Stipe, and of course a congratulations to Daniel, Daniel Cormier on just one of the most tremendous UFC careers and just athletic careers we've ever seen. Uh, he, he's one of the best, and we wish him the best in his future endeavors. Yeah, I mean, here's what I think. <clears throat> First of all, what do you think? Because I don't know if you saw the interview with Vera after the O'Malley fight, but he basically, you know, when asked about the injury, and of course, he's such a hothead, he's never going to like admit that the injury had anything to do with him winning. But he basically said that his fighting style made O'Malley kick him more and therefore led to the injury as if, like it was something that O'Malley did wrong rather than a freak thing. What do you take up? What's your take on that? Yeah. I mean, I think I don't expect any fighter to ever be like, Oh yeah. I mean, I would have won if they didn't get injured or what have you. Um, and I think Vera certainly earned that win and, and injuries happen in all sports, let alone uh, the UFC. I think it probably affects an MMA fight more than a lot of sports because especially when you're the only one in there, and it's such a physical sport that if you're injured, it's it's going to go a long way. Um, so, I mean, I I don't really have an issue with Vera, like, saying that because I, I don't I don't really know what you expect, like, a fighter to say in that situation. Like, I think they, they absolutely deserve to be like, no, I won. I did what I needed to do. And at the end of the day, I got the knockout. But at the same time, I think as an outsider looking in, I don't think there's any way you can not look at that fight and be like, well, it would have – would have gone a little differently if he hadn't gotten injured right of course yeah and even like ferguson and gaethje like ferguson clearly was not at full strength but it was still a nice win by gaethje you know so right yeah no definitely i just was curious about your take on the interview uh, here's my thing also about john bones jones obviously we want to see john bones jones continue his crazy crazy career we always do it's what we want it's what the UFC probably wants. But can you really – can you really – what's the word? Can you justify giving him a title shot at Stipe Miocic before giving, I don't know, Francis Ngannou a title shot? Like, I don't know if that's going to be 
I, I don't know how you do that. I, I understand John Bones Jones at the top of the rankings of the, you know, you know, like total fighter rankings, but <clears throat> I just think Francis Ngannou's earned it. And I just think that that's the fight I want to see before I see John Bones Jones try to come for a title. And obviously it's different because Miocic is going to fight once more. So that's the one thing that I'm worried about is like his next fight might be his last. So if you do want him to go against Bones Jones, you want to do it as early as possible. But I just, I don't know. I just think after beating Rosenstruck the other time, I just feel like he's earned it. Well, I mean, Ngannou might deserve a second one, but Miocic did beat him back January 2018. So, I mean, Ngannou has gotten the chance. Um, I think Ngannou has gotten to be a better fighter. So I I think, like, if Ngannou gets a second shot at the heavyweight against Stipe, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think also just the fighter that Bones Jones is. Like, I mean, I used to love Bones Jones, and then his own behavior and decision-making has made me not be as quite a big of a fan. But I think it's hard to argue. I mean, I, I think he's the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world and I think maybe ever in the UFC. So I think also just, like, the fighter that he is, he gets a little more leeway of being like, yeah, I want that fight. Um, so I think, I think it's, I think it's fine. <laughs> okay. No, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's a fight I'll watch. It's a fight yeah. I'll watch. I mean, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, there's just so many, fo- I, can we talk about, there's so many good fighters in the UFC right now. There's just so many good fighters in the good UFC. I mean, we talked about John's Bones Jones and Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier. We haven't talked about Usman. We haven't talked about Adansaya. We haven't talked about, you know, Gagechi all that much. Poirier. I mean, Khabib. The guy has never lost a fight. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> like, I, if you're not into – if you are at all interested in fighting and you haven't, like, tuned in, it, it, prime time. Because also you have all these fighters that are going to be retiring soon and there's going to be a mad dash for the top. So I'm I'm excited to see that progress. But yeah, a wonderful Saturday. You said it best. All right, Jan, we're going to soccer. We're starting with, we're starting, we have to start with the lesser of the competitions. And just so I can get through this, actually, I don't even care. I knew, I knew. (laughs) If Manchester would have won, I would have been very, very surprised. Um, Sevilla back to the Europa League final. They got the two, one win over my red devils. Started with another awarded penalty to Manchester United. Uh, I've truly never seen a team get so many penalties, which is accurate because they, had, as I mentioned the previous show, they had the most penalties in Premier League history this year. Um, but of course, Bruno Fernandez put it away as he always does. Beautiful but after penalty. that, they really struggled in the first half. Sevilla found the equalizer in the 26th minute from Suso. United played, I, I thought, a lot better in the second half, but. You know, just like against Copenhagen, and as I mentioned in that game against Copenhagen, they couldn't finish with enough quality in the final third. Just that last bit of play they needed to really put a goal in, it, it just wasn't there. And it wasn't there against Copenhagen, and Copenhagen's Copenhagen, so they were able to kind of survive. But Sevilla's a lot better team than Copenhagen. And not being able to get that that last bit of quality that they needed opened up the door for Luke de Jong to get the winner for Sevilla in the 78th minute. Um, it is the third semifinal loss for United this year, so that part stings a little bit. But I think, you know, they finished the, the EPL season really strong. Finishing third was great, but we mentioned before that this isn't the normal Premier League season. Um, it's, it, third, third doesn't mean quite as much this year as it, as it would in a lot of years. 
and they've made progress. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has this team moving in the right direction, but they aren't there yet. And I think this Sunday showed it even more that there there's still some gaps. There's still some issues there at United. And, and while they're trying to get back to where they used to be, they've they've got a ways to go still. And I think that that was clear against Sevilla. Meanwhile, the Spanish side will attempt to win their record sixth Europa League against Inter Milan. Uh, Inter Milan sh- rolled by Shakhtar Donetsk 5-0. They had a 1-0 halftime lead in what was kind of a close game, a tight game. But after Danilo D'Ambrosio's 64th minute goal, the game really opened up. Obviously, Shakhtar had to kind of attack a little more, which opened up the holes in their own defense. And Inter was able to get three more goals, including two from the ex-United man, Romulu Lukaku. Um, and, you know, I I would say after those two matches and maybe just the whole tournament, that Inter looks like the favorite. But I'm never picking against Sevilla in the Europa League. I'm just not doing it. I refuse to. They have beaten teams that looked far better than before. And for some reason in that competition, they just can't lose. They, so my pick is to, to is Sevilla to beat Inter, but it should be a fun final. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> let me talk about the semifinals for a second. Shakhtar was never going to win that game. I tweeted something out earlier that day and said that if Inter Milan don't easily beat Shakhtar, that Antonio Conte has problems. They proved me wrong they did really well obviously Lukaku doing well and yeah that team is just built so you know efficiently my my worry is that when they go behind they're not very good you know or when they get lazy with a lead they're not very good obviously Shakhtar doesn't have the quality to contest a lead because their whole game plan kind of like Atletico Madrid obviously Atletico Madrid has a lot stronger players but their whole thing is about packing it in, you know, attacking on the counter, grabbing a goal, protecting a lead. So that's why it was a perfect matchup for Inter Milan. Against Sevilla, if they get a lead and get complacent, it's over because Sevilla will bite back. I mean, that's just going to be the truth of it all. I will never, I mean, Inter Milan is clearly the better team, but I also feel that way. Not only is it their sixth final, they're 5-0! and Yeah, Matt, they don't win! Is there a better... Is there a better team in a, in a specific like chant like tournament history than Sevilla? They're five and zero. They're five and zero, and it's not like five and zero from like the seventies like some teams have. You know, Bayern Munich has like seven Champions League wins, but like three of them were in nineteen seventy. You know, whatever. All of them are since two thousand. All five, like all six finals. Yeah. So this is all just, recent history. Yeah, it's all their tournament, and I and just would never bet against them. So I'm also putting my money on Sevilla. I I just think I, I sometimes that's what I love about sports. Sometimes the paper just simply does not matter when it yeah. comes to certain situations. That's just what it means. It doesn't. Here, it doesn't. And here's the thing, Manchester United, I know we we have a little disagreement on this. I think, you know, you know, player to player analysis, Manchester United was also a far better team than Sevilla. And so it also didn't matter. It also yeah, didn't matter. Truthfully, it was. Look, I mean, we'll talk about it later in the NBA. If you looked at the at the Raptors roster, you would think they were like the sixth best team in the NBA. But they play as a team. They play well, and like as you say, they don't play the games on paper. One one team can look talent wise, worlds better than another team. But this isn't video games. 
um, where it, like the, the your you know attributes just mean that you're better. Like unless you actually put out there and perform and perform well with your team, it doesn't mean anything. Right. I mean, let's you know take it back to soccer. Sheffield United. You look player for player with any team. Sheffield United is worse. I would say even worse than teams that got relegated. So the fact that they made it as far as they did. And that's what we love about sports. So I am also putting my money on Sevilla. Obviously, if Inter Milan win, I will not be surprised. They are a great team. No. But I think that team has structural issues that Shakhtar did not sh- like infiltrate. You know, I think that Sevilla sure. is a much more compact team, especially offensively, that will challenge Inter Milan's you know weak spots. And there's a reason that they didn't contest Juventus for the title, despite Juventus you know, faltering at the end. And that's because they, you know, were great offensively and really bad defensively. So I do think Sevilla probably has the edge in this one. But who knows? I don't know anything anymore. I don't know anything anymore. Well, you know, most of the time too. And like in, in like a final, throw, throw it all out the window. Like it, it just most, so many of the other things just like don't matter. It's just what happens on that day in the competition. So I, I think it's going to be a great, I think I'm excited for this one a lot. Oh, me too. Absolutely, me too. I'm excited, and it's going to be a great enjoy game. Enjoy it too, instead of uh, sit anxiously the whole time. Right. If you guys had progressed <laughs> and had to play Inter Milan, that would have been such. Can I just tell everybody that would have been such a bad game for Matt to watch because he would have had to watch as Inter Milan with Alexis Sanchez, Romelu Lukaku, and Ashley Young competed against them, and it'd be yeah, like a oh. reunion for United. Right. And so if you lost, it would have been like, oh well, that's great. Glad that all of our old players beat us. That's yeah. real fun. That exactly. would have been sad. Oh boy. Well, I'm gonna stay with soccer. I have never been so happy in my life. I have to say, I have. I as, as a Bayern Munich fan, I was nervous for the game against Barcelona, but I knew we had it in us to beat them. And not only did we beat them, but we annihilated them <laughs> to the point that they are restructuring their entire team. Their their sporting director is fired. Their coach is fired. They said that everybody but three players are up for sale and Messi is looking to leave. So if anyone decided the future of Barcelona past Messi, it is Bayern Munich with this win. And I just think it's such an achievement. And, you know, I feel bad for Barcelona, but also Bayern, this has been a long time coming. We've been building our team season after season, faltering at the last to teams like Real Madrid that just had talented players. And finally, we show that not only do we have talented players, but that we are the best team in Europe. And it's not a one-season thing where good teams just had a bad game. It's not that. It's that we are defensively, offensively, midfield, goalie, coach, compact, talented and relentless and i love it and i will get to in a second i'm going to start with the semi-final that's happening in a couple hours paris saint-germain broke their curse they are in the semi-finals congratulations to them and they are playing another team that should not be in the semi-finals but are in rb leipzig can i tell you rb leipzig has been around for seven damn years not like in the <laughs> champions league but like in history they've been around for seven damn years 
They're I the like Vegas it. Knights of the Champions League. Truthfully, the fact that they're in the semifinal and contesting the Bundesliga Championship is beyond me. And I was mad about it at first because I'm like, you guys don't have history. And you know what? I'm freaking over it. I'm so happy for them. I think Julian Nagelsmann is one of the best coaches in Europe. I think if he's not snapped up by a team that needs a new coach, that they're doing something wrong. And it's just such a great game. Um, in fact, Thomas Tuchel, who's the coach, <clears throat> another German coach, who was the coach in Germany for a while, is the coach of PSG. And he actually coached Julian Nagelsmann in Augsburg's academy soccer 12 years ago. So it is truthfully master versus apprentice, a game. And we are very excited to see which of those tactical masterminds come out on top. PSG got there with a win against Atalanta, obviously an exciting Atalanta team that we thought could probably upset them. And they did have the lead in the 26th minute after Poslic got the goal. But... They had PSG, the, lead, like, the whole damn game. They had to lead the whole damn game, but PSG just had too much talent. And after Mbappe and Eric Chupomoting came <laughs> off the bench, uh, you know, PSG grabbed the 90th minute equalizer through Marquinhos, 93rd minute winner through Chupomoting. Here's my thing about PSG Neymar got named best player of the quarterfinal round. And I just think that's absolutely ridiculous. I think the fact that one of Leipzig's players or one of Byron's I mean how did one of Byron's players not get picked for that that's like Truthfully. In high school when like the kid who like clearly isn't that good is like starting on the team because their dad gives a bunch of money or something like just because it's Neymar he gets the the like award and I'm like how did you guys not watch the plus like right. even if he did well he also dropped the ball several times right exactly it's not even that he was average and did something at the end and they're like oh that's uncalled for he played poorly the entire game. He missed shots. The only reason he didn't have the worst miss of the quarterfinal round was because Raheem Sterling decided to blast it over from two feet in front of the goal open. That's the only reason is because Raheem Sterling bit the bed. That's literally it. And Neymar didn't play well until Mbappe came in. Mbappe was great. Eric Chupamotin, great. Neymar was there from the start. And guess where they were from the start, Matt? Behind. So... I don't agree with that. I think Neymar is, of course, a talented player. I think PSG's greatest chance in this is going to be because Angel Di Maria is back from suspension and because Mbappe is going to be more healthy. If they win this and they point to Neymar, I will be upset. I will be so upset because they have so many other reasons that they would win besides that overrated Brazilian crybaby. That's what I have to say. Up. Like, I'm fine if Neymar getting praise when he deserves it. But he gets so so much unwarranted praise that it's it's ridiculous to me. Yeah, it's ridiculous to me as well. But they are in the semifinal, so what do we know? Uh, but like I said, they get Di Maria back. Mbappe is going to be healthy. So this game against Leipzig is going to be hard for Leipzig. But Leipzig, shocking Atletico Madrid in their quarterfinal match. They actually had the lead first. Danny Olmo in the first 51st minute. Joao Felix, the highly rated youngster from Portugal, grabbing the equalizer for Atleti in the 71st minute. And then American young man, Tyler Adams, grabbing the winner. We love to see it. Congratulations. Um, Leipzig, I've said this the entire time they've been in the Bundesliga. They are a tactically tight team. They are lacking their star in Timo Werner. So it's really hard for me to want to put money on them. However, I do know that Julian Nagelsmann will set them up to compete with PSG because he is that kind of tactician. It's always hard to play them. Can they keep Mbappe, Neymar, Di Maria out? That's hard. That's really hard. I think they can, because I also think all three of those players are underperforming. Um, 
you know, for different reasons, obviously. Di Maria is a little older. Neymar is inconsistent. Mbappe is injured. So, like, uh, different reasons. It's really hard for me to think that they're going to keep them out. And they have to because they don't have anybody who can score three goals. They have to keep them out. It's going to have to be like 0-0 in extra time and they grab a winner there or penalties even. And I think that's probably how they'll get set up. I'm interested to see PSG also like how they come out in this game. If it's like now that they're kind of over that hump, do they start playing to that? Like, cause we know they have the talent. It's like we were saying earlier, you know, looking like at a team on paper, like we know it's all there for PSG and we've seen them dominate in France for years. So now that they're over that hump, do they start playing up to their potential or is now like the semifinals is just like the new hump and then they still come out kind of flat and kind of tight and stuff. So I'm interested to see that today as well. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, here's the thing, Matt, like we're so excited about Atalanta, right? We loved Atalanta, high flying team. We We talked about it though, right? Atalanta is this way for this year. They are not a good team. They have a great, you know, togetherness and they're coached by a great coach but PSG should be beating Atalanta they should be beating Atalanta so them winning against Atalanta simply because we expected them to fail is not like any for me is not any kind of anything right like they also won two of their French cups by one goal against Lyon who granted is in the semi-final but is much worse than them too and against Saint-Étienne Who's finishing like close to the relegation zone? I agree. I mean, I agree with you. Where like the, the win over Atalanta itself is nothing. I hundred percent agree. But just this, especially like the corner final stage, we've seen PSG lose. I mean, we saw them lose to Manchester United, a team they should not have lost to last year. I think it's more of like just like the stage in the competition itself, like that sort of hump. Okay. Like I think I think the win over Atalanta. Like I, I don't know how you take any especially the way they did it with two goals in the 90th minute. Yeah. Like, I, I I don't think there's any way you can take confidence from that. But it's just like more of like, okay, we've gotten over this this hump that regardless of who we've been playing, we haven't been able to get over. I wonder if just doing that helps them get a little more confidence and play a little more free and play a little less in their head. Right. And we'll see. It does definitely kind of, you know, put to bed some ghosts for them. I still think they have so much to to prove. And I think Leipzig, even more than Atalanta, because Atalanta had momentum. Leipzig, no momentum. They somehow finished third, even though Dortmund lost out at the end of their season. So I think, and without Timo Werner, if they're not beating Leipzig by two goals easily, then I think I'm worried about them in the final, especially because they will have to play my boys. My Bayern Munich boys, they got... You're not scared of Lyon? What? (laughs) You're not scared of Lyon? (laughs) I'm not scared of Lyon. Here's what I'm going to say. Bayern Munich thrashed FC Barcelona 8-2. Yes, Barcelona had so many problems. But you know what happened with those problems? A team can have so many problems. You know what the mark of a good team is, Matt? When a team exploits those problems. And you know what? Past teams didn't. Barcelona still finished second. In the, in the La Liga, Barcelona still got to the quarterfinals past teams that they maybe shouldn't have because they were able to mask their mistakes against teams that couldn't take advantage. But let's give it up for Bayern Munich. The defense was sound for the most part. I mean, in the beginning, obviously, there was the own goal, but they kept out Messi to, and had him take shots that Neuer could save easily. Thomas Muller was magic. 
Tiago commanded the midfield. He was really the only one in the midfield, and he somehow commanded it completely. Serge Gnabry was perfect. Alfonso Davies was unstoppable. I mean, they are simply the best team in the world right now. Lyon, obviously there because they stunned Manchester City 3-1. to one. I mean, who saw that coming? Nobody. <gasps> Nobody saw that coming. We are so happy, though, because as we've said, and you haven't heard us say this on, on air, so we're going to say it right here. Pep Guardiola is not a good coach. Pep Guardiola is not a good coach. He's not. He's not a good coach. And here's what I'm going to say. He got stunned by an Olympic Lyon team who's decent at best. Decent at best. And he had not only the most expensive team left in the competition, but the most expensive defense in the competition in its entirety. And somehow he lets in three goals that are all defensive errors. Ederson didn't know how to position himself. He somehow wants to play Eric Garcia in the middle for no reason whatsoever. And he screws up two of the goals. And he's got Fernandinho back there as if that's going to do something. Like, what is he doing? He has no idea how to coach. He just has expensive teams and then somehow messes them up. He did it at Bayern Munich. And the only reason he won at Barcelona was because he came in their fucking prime. And that's yeah. what it is. They were great. They were great then. And like, they were I, great. Like you, you and me could have probably managed that team to like a Champions League. I could have sat there and said, you guys do what you want. I'll figure yeah. out subs. Figure as it I out. Go. You, guys will, you yeah. guys will be fine. Figure it out. You guys are done. He can't get it done with big teams. He cannot. Laporte can't do it all by himself. He has the most expensive defense and somehow had no defense going in. I mean, I don't care what team you're playing against. Who looks at a defense that's three men and it's Laporte, Eric Garcia, and Fernandinho and doesn't think you're going to get scored on a million goals? Like, I ju- truthfully, I mean, that's ridiculous. That They're they're lucky that they played Lyon and not Barcelona because Barcelona would have sent them home 6-0. to zero. Like, honestly. like it, And Barcelona's not good either. Well, but, clearly they weren't lucky they played Lyon because they're still packed with back home. That's true, but I'm saying at least as a shock and not like an embarrassment, you know? And I don't and, know. Lyon was seventh in league earned. I think it's still I, – I think I would rather get my ass kicked by Barca than lose to a team like that. Okay, but what if Barca beat your ass 5-0 and then lost 8-2 to to Bayern in the semifinal? <laughs> yeah, it didn't look great, but <laughs> – I mean, we'll see. But they, you know, I have to say something. Leon, decent team, kind of, for me, kind of like a Sheffield United. They have a lot of decent players. They have some skill. Obviously, a little more skill. They have Memphis Depay. They have uh, Toke Kambe, all these players. Dembele, obviously. But they are a decent team, and they are coached well. Good for them. But three mistakes led to the goal. I mean, the first one was a complete, you know, misread from Ederson and good for Cornet to put it away. But let's be real here. Then Manchester City dominated the rest of the game. Should have been 2-1 up. Kevin De Bruyne scoring. Raheem Sterling, like we talked about earlier, missing a point-blank opportunity. If you haven't seen that miss, go look at it. He should be booed out of Man City for that miss, honestly. Like, truthfully bad. And... The last two goals were also kind of caught on the counter and even caught on the counter were also defensive errors. And it's just, I don't think Lyon deserves to be there as much as Man City doesn't deserve to be there. So, you know, I'm not, I, of course, I think this game is going to be closer than people are thinking because that you beat Barcelona eight to two and you're like, well, you should be able to beat Lyon 18 to zero. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're much more likely to see like a three to one game, you know, 
I here's the thing. Lyon is exactly the kind of team that Bayern thrives against. They remind me of a Wolfsburg who likes to pack it in, who plays really, you know, attractive possession football, but Bayern will press you and you will make mistakes. And when you concede, you will have to push forward and then you will continue to give them space in the front. And I just don't see Lyon winning a game. Even if they grabbed a 2-0 lead, Bayern pushes everybody up. It's 5-2 easy. That's what I'm saying. I, I really don't see a way. Very disappointing. I mean, if Lyon beats Bayern, I'm putting my money on them regardless of who's in the other game because they <laughs> truthfully can't lose then. That's like Cinderella the story. That's a Cinderella story beyond. That's such an upset then. But I do think Bayern will will win this you know, fairly easily. And it's going to be probably Bayern PSG. I I like my hopes in that game. I really do because Bayern doesn't. Bayern's problem is not that they play bad against teams with offense. Their problem is when they can't break apart defenses. Look at teams that they've lost to in the past. A good Real Madrid defense. A good Atletico Madrid defense. Those are the teams they lose against. PSG's defense, not good. So if they're going to get in a shooting match with that front line, I take Bayern's front line every single day. And PSG, they'll start with their three, but they don't have any depth past that. They have Julian Draxler. That's the one guy they can bring in. Meanwhile, Bayern can bring in Perisic if he doesn't start. They can bring Coman in. They can bring um, you know Serge Gnabry if he's not starting. Or they can bring in all the young guys that also score goals for them every single day. And when you have Alfonso Davies playing as well as he does, I just don't see any way... Bayern, after this win against Barcelona, they have a lot of pressure on them because they should not, they should win. I it's think, not, yeah, I mean, I think they're heads and heads and shoulders. The fate, I like, yeah, I don't my team, but I think if Bayern doesn't win this thing, we're all going to be surprised. And and I would say that even if they had beaten Barcelona one zero, right? I think I think Hansi Flick is going to be in trouble if Bayern doesn't win this. I think it's it's very fair to say. I think that's going to be it, but. A good quarterfinal stage. I'm excited for the semifinal tomorrow, and then we'll be in the final. My dad's coming to New York this weekend, so hopefully we can watch it on Sunday together. It'll be a lot of fun, and hopefully we get it done. Yeah, and I mean, Bayern themselves kind of got over their own little hump. Um, the last few years, it's been it's been those Spanish teams that they just haven't been able to do. Like, I mean, I think Bayern's been as talented as any team in Europe the last few years, they just haven't been able to get by Real, Atletico, even Barca at other times since their last title. Um, and so I think that that own kind of monkey off their back that they've gotten off, I think is going to show through. I would be surprised if you guys aren't hoisting up the Champions League. I think it's just pretty, pretty clear the most uh, complete team, defense, midfield, attacking, Manuel Neuer and goal. So... Things are looking up for Yannick, and you know I'm always yes. pulling, pulling for Bayern. Who would have yes. who would have thought we had a semifinal German team versus French team on both sides? That right. is uh, unexpected, right? And yeah, I mean, I'll we'll talk about that later. But yeah, it's definitely surprising. And I just want to say, like, I I have such great teams that I'm fans of, and so it's always funny. It always happens this way. The Boston Bruins ahead in their series, finding their stride, right? The Celtics grabbed a win yesterday, ahead in their stride. Bayern Munich, clear favorites in the Champions League, ahead in their stride. 
So, of course, the Boston Red Sox have to be having the worst season in team history in order for any of that to happen. <laughs> they couldn't even I, be I losing. Think, you, had to give up, you had to give up Tom Brady to, uh, to get this. I think that was the right. sports gods were like, all right, we'll, we'll let you have these rewards. But, um, but uh, your Patriots are going to suck and your Red Sox are going to be historically Tom bad. Brady's leaving and the whole defense is opting out. Yeah. And you know it's what's worth funny? It. It's the, worth it. Yeah, worth it. Absolutely. I'll take this any day. I've had so much joy with the Patriots, and baseball is my least I concerned about, so I'll take the teams that are doing well. I just think it's funny that I get updates when Jarrett Stenham's doing bad in training camp, and I'm just like, don't tell me that right now. I don't want, kind of, I don't want to hear that. Oh, I don't care. Yeah, Jared, they're like, Jarrett Stenham has thrown three interceptions in training camp so far today, and I'm like, great. Thank you for the update. Like, can you leave the kid alone? Jeez. Yeah. It's Cam's team now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. All right, Jan. The NBA playoffs are officially here. Finally. After some, it's been, you know, we had a lot of great seeding games. Dramatic play-in win for the Trailblazers over the Grizzlies. Uh, it's time for, for everybody to go for the Larry O'Brien Trophy. Mm. Uh, on the Eastern Conference, we've got the number one Bucks going against the eight-seed Magic. Uh, their first game is actually currently on. I believe the Magic are up a couple. But um, I, I think Orlando's going to need some Orlando FC magic and then some to even get a win here. Uh, I see this one as a pretty clear sweep for the Bucks. I think Giannis is just too much to handle. And, I mean, Giannis himself is a great defensive player and a great player, but the Bucks just themselves are extremely good on defense. Um, that's part of the reason I think they are such a favorite because sometimes they're going to miss shots, but – if you got defensive intensity and good rotation and and such and such, that's something that that shows up night in and night out. So I see this as an easy win for the Bucks on to the second round. The two seed Raptors are up against our Brooklyn Nets, the seven seed defending champion Raptors. Took a one zero lead yesterday with basically a wire to wire win. The Mets, the Nets made a, a nice little comeback, but uh, they were down thirty three and might cut it to fifteen. So let's not go too crazy with that comeback. Um, and, you know, the Raptors are just looking good. And they've had a bunch of role players, especially down in Orlando, step up. Norman Powell is playing better. Van Vliet is looking like a star. Chris Boucher is blocking everything that's put in the basket. And, and ex-Iowa State guy, Matt Thomas, has been lighting it up all over the court, shooting like it's an ocean. Um, so they have they are such a complete team that – they, they intrigue me a lot. I mean, I think in the NBA, I think you need a star. Is Pascal Siakam enough of that? Is, is Lowry is, or Gasol enough to kind of make up for maybe the lack of Kawhi? I don't know, but I don't think there's a better team in the NBA. Um, and I do think they'll handle the Nets pretty easily. We move on to your Boston Celtics, the three seed, going Woo-hoo! up against the six seed 76ers in a little rivalry matchup in the first round. I was kind of surprised how much the Celtics struggled last night. Um, I don't think this Sixers team is is anything. I mean, I think the Celtics could and probably should win this in four or five games. Uh, without Ben Simmons, they just don't have the horses to do it. And Joel, B- Joel Embiid is still one of the most confounding players in the NBA. Like, dude, you're seven feet tall. You're huge. Go down low and bully people. Why are you outside? Like, I don't understand what goes through this guy's head. Fire Brett Brown, the Sixers. I mean, like the Sixers are a team we were talking earlier about 
teams on paper. The Sixers on paper, even without Ben Simmons, probably should be better than they are, but they just don't show up. Um, so I'd, I'd be surprised if the Celtics don't uh, make easy business out of these guys, even though last night was was closer than I expected. Uh, and then the last Eastern Conference first-round series, the four-seed Pacers against the five-seed Heat. Only first-round series, I think that is really a toss-up, um, but I give the edge personally to the Heat, who I think are as deep as anyone. Uh, they have so many players that that help the team out, make threes, play defense. Another team, kind of like the Raptors, that, that really just play well as a team. Um, and as far as dark horses go, the Miami Heat are my dark horse out of the Eastern Conference. I think they have a legitimate chance to make the NBA Finals as the five seed. Am I going to the casino and putting money on it to happen? No. But I think they've got the chance. Uh, like I said, they play good defense. They have a team that just have so many different guys that help out. Tyler Hero, Dragic. You got um, Duncan from Michigan, who like he started out in Division Three, then transferred to Michigan. Now he's a, a big time contributor to the Heat. So they just have a really good team, um, and I think they'll get through the Pacers. So I got Bucks, Raptors, Celtics, and Heat all moving on to the second round. We go to the other side of the bracket to the Western Conference. The number one seed Lakers against the eight seed Blazers, as we previously kind of talked about. Blazers have been hot, especially Dame Lillard. I mean, the guy's been doing historical stuff down there, scoring the ball, willed themselves to the eight seed. But I think if they want to win this series, it doesn't matter how many points Dame Lillard scores. They need CJ McCollum. They need Yusuf Nurkic to really step up and contribute more. At the end of the day, I just think the Lakers have too much size. Um, and I think I think they'll figure it out. When you got you got guy Anthony Davis and LeBron James, you you're just gonna figure it out. Um, especially against a Blazers team who I just I don't think the rest of the team has been as consistent and strong as Dame. But it'll be a fun one in seed eight seed. I mean, you, they mentioned it earlier on ESPN. You don't see a lot of eight seeds that have like a top ten NBA player, um, and that's certainly the Blazers here. The next one, the number two seed Clippers taking on the seven seed Mavericks. Clippers took game one last night, highlighted by maybe the worst ejection I've ever seen. Uh, Chris Tapps Porzingis shouldn't have gotten either of those technical calls. I don't understand how you give a guy a tech. Whether the call is right or not, which it wasn't right, Porzingis didn't foul him on that block. Of course a guy is going to kind of have a reaction that he's upset that you made the call. I don't think any. I don't think Porzingis did anything egregious. He didn't get in the rest face. He didn't. All he did was react that he was upset there was a foul call that shouldn't have been a foul call in the first place. As as for the second tech, I mean, I guess you don't want guys getting in each other's faces, but I didn't see anything that bad. Uh, and you know, I think too, I think the refs, like especially on that second tech, I think the refs need to have some perspective and really think, okay, if we give him this second technical, he's going to be ejected and he's done. It's not quite the same as like the second like yellow card in soccer, where I think in the, I think in soccer you have to be you know a little more like well if it's a yellow card it's a yellow card. Technical is a little more of a judgment call, especially in something like that. So I think the refs too should have used their heads a little bit more and say, all right, he's going to get ejected if we give him this second technical. Does he deserve that? No, he doesn't. So horrible job by the refs. Uh, Doncic still had forty two points. In his playoff de- debut, the most points ever in a play- playoff debut. But in the end, the Clippers' depth 
uh, and their star players, PG-13 and Kawhi, showed up, especially late, to give them the win. But it would have been a different game. I mean, the Mavericks had a five-point lead when Porzingis was ejected. Um, and I think I wish I wish the refs would have done a little better job, used a little better judgment, because would the Mavericks have won? I don't know. But they would have had a hell of a better chance when they still have their second best player out there on the court. Regardless, I think the Clippers are probably going to win this series. But it should be fun watching Luka Doncic. Hey, I hear the, the sounds of New York out back there. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the beautiful sounds. Yeah, of- not as many sirens here in Des Moines. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's all, all the time. It's literally – it's, uh, it's so crazy. Soundtrack so to New York. All right. Oh, move yeah. on to the three-seed Nuggets going up against the six-seed Jazz. This series is going to be fun. Um, the Jazz, they have not been great in the bubble. But Donovan Mitchell, very much like Dame Lillard, where he will be able to take this team to heights that I don't think normally they could reach. Um, that was put on display yesterday when he dropped 57 points. He broke Carl Malone's single-game playoff record for the Jazz. It was previously 50, and it is the third most points ever in a playoff game. The only two people that have more points in a playoff game are Michael Jordan with 63 and Elgin Baylor with 61. Um, I know they went into overtime, so he had a little more playing, but he was over 50 points before the end of regulation anyway. So just went off. I think he does have the ability, like Dame, to, to get this team through the Nuggets. I'm still taking the Nuggets in that game. We saw why, especially late. Jokic doing what he does best, passing the ball, scoring at will. Jamal Murray got hot, hot, hot in overtime, making threes like it's nobody's business. Um, I think this is going to be a back-and-forth one. This is my like highlighted series out of all eight series in the first round, but I'm picking Denver. Um, Denver is my dark horse on the Western Conference side. I understand like three seed isn't that big of a dark horse, but I think in this year when it's been, you know, all the talk has been Clippers or Lakers, Clippers or Lakers out of the West. If one of them doesn't go, I think it's going to be a surprise to everyone. So I think yeah. the Nuggets are a legitimate dark horse just in the fact that the Lakers and the Clippers are so obviously the favorites to come out of the West. Uh, and finally, the number four seed Thunder against the number five seed Rockets. It's the uh, surprising OKC Thunder. I mean, they've had a much better season than anyone expected against the Rockets, who I think have, have disappointed, quite frankly, especially with the addition of, of Westbrook. I think that the Rockets' playoff experience and just James Harden's ability to, to carry a game so much will get them through to the second round. But if the Thunder want to win this, and if they will win this, it's going to come down to Steven Adams. Houston does not have the size to match up with a guy like him. I think Chris Paul's ability to get him the ball in in, spa- in open spaces is huge. Uh, I mean, if, if the Rockets are going to do a small ball lineup, I say throw it down low to Adams over and over and over again, and CP3 will be able to do that. So I'm going Rockets, but if the Thunder get it done, it's going to be because of the big New Zealander down low. And that is the NBA playoff first round look at. It's going to be a ton of fun. Um, it's going to be interesting to see you know, what this no home court kind of does what these role players do, what bench players do, how the series is play out. I mean, usually just like that format of like, I'm going to win the first two games because I'm at home. I, I think that's kind of thrown out the window. So it's going to be a ton of fun. I do think the first round series are pretty straightforward, but as we progress, it's uh, it's going to be a, a real good time down in Orlando. Yeah. I mean, I so many things I have to talk. I have like notes here. I have so many things I want to 
ask you about. I mean, so let's start. I don't think the Boston Celtics. I think the Boston Celtics just lost their one chance to progress. You know, that Gordon Hayward's out for four weeks now after an ankle sprain. And do I? Th- I mean, they're obviously going to be the 76ers. I think the only reason that game is close is because of the rivalry factor of it. That obviously, regardless of home field advantage, that has like an effect. You just play worse against your rivals. I think that's just like it. You play dirtier games against them. And I do think they'll move on from that. But he's out for four weeks. And that means he's also going to be out for the Raptors series. And I think the Raptors are too well coached and too deep in order for the Celtics to be missing a guy that's been playing as well as Gordon Hayward. So I think that probably kind of seals their fate. I think they did have a chance, you know, Jason Tatum playing the way he is, Jalen Brown playing the way it is, Kemba Walker gets a couple more minutes, you know, Marcus Smart plays well. But that's the thing. They need all of those players. And I think without Gordon Hayward, the load is going to be on somebody who won't perform as well. Yeah. So I think like if Hayward's absence, I think, gives the opportunity for, for a guy like Jalen Brown to get the ball more and elevate his play. And if he does it, they can certainly do it. But that's true. But I think, yeah, it'll be, it'll be hard. It was always going to be hard. I don't think they had like the win, obviously in the bag against the Raptors in the next round anyway uh, with Gordon Hayward. But I do think that definitely challenges it. Um, I mean, I'm just excited. How excited are you to see the Nets next season with all of these players stepping up and Karis Levert? You know, can't wait. They're they're they're. I mean, obviously, not like the best team in the league or anything, but they're set up. They are set up. They can either they had they gotta sign Joe Harris back. Right, they do. I mean, Joe Harris is ridiculous. They do have to sign Joe Harris back, but they have six or seven attractive players that they don't need. That they can either be like, hey, look at us, we're deep. Like, look, we like you can't beat us because we're so deep. The bench players are scoring 20 points a game. Or if I'm them, I go out and sign somebody else to join KD and Kyrie, you know. You could put an appealing trade package together. You could sure. put an appealing trade package. Oh, I don't know. Maybe a want-away player. Maybe a maybe a Devinabooker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I, I I agree. Him, Bradley Beal. Um, gosh, there was another shooting guard I was thinking of the other day. But yeah, I I think you're right. I but then, then at the same point, like with their depth, like shoot, Karis Levert or Dinwiddie could have like six man of the year wrapped up next year if they come off. Right. The That's true. They just have so many players and they have so many options, and it's gonna be real hard for them to screw it up. So I'm very excited, especially as a New Yorker, uh, to see that team come on its own i agree jazz nuggets great series i mean donovan and you know what's crazy about donovan mitchell scoring 57 points is that i think he might be fifth at the end of this playoff rounds because dame or Doncic might also beat 57 at the end of this like they easily could are you kidding Truly. me or james harden also could do it and i just like it's so funny to me that that is like that 63 is the record i'm just like really because i feel like any of those guys could do it uh so that'll be interesting to watch as well the nuggets are so good obviously michael porter jr was inconsistent down the stretch but if he can kind of be the third guy behind jamal and and behind um oh nikola Jokic, uh i think that i mean they're really hard they are really deep as well and jamal murray just showing up i mean two kentucky college players one from louisville one from uk 
really fun to watch uh, last night. I mean, I was watching back and forth and a lot of respect between those two. So that was fun. The Clippers Mavs controversy. So here's here's my thing. I I've been, you know, listening to a lot about it. Obviously, this morning it's all that's been on the news, <laughs> obviously. And first of all, not only was the first call bad because it wasn't a foul, in fact, oh. it was it was a perfect, it was a perfect defensive move. Like there's nothing that he could have done better in that situation. And and just it, it was a egregious, right? But here's my thing. I think that where's where the mistake was made. Because for me, if you if you know that you're in a game, and I understand, like, what are you going to do? But like the second one, which was also bad, if you are in the middle of a game where you know you get in some guy's face, regardless of how bad it is, that you're out, you know? I, I honestly think it's very similar to the yellow card situation because it's like, if you have a yellow card and you are in a knockout game, right? And you and it's the 60th minute and you have a 1-0 lead against a team that's very even to you. Yes, are you you have to be you have to be more careful with your tackles. Even regardless if the call is bad when it happens, you took the risk. And so I think I think, you know, Kristaps Porzingis probably needed to be a little tiny bit smarter in that situation, especially because the Clippers do that. Right, they have Patrick Beverly. They have Marcus Morris. Like they, they do that, and and I think that was you know a win on their part for that. And I think if I'm Porzingis and I know I'm the best, second best player on my team, I I have my hands up and I'm leaving. Obviously harder to say than when you're in game, and obviously a bad call because the first technical was so egregious. It's horrible. But that's I, yeah, think, but, I mean I think the yellow card situation. I was comparing it more to like a, the refs' decision, like because at the end of the day, those refs looked at that scenario, and I like. I agree, Przingis probably should have been smarter. But I also don't think he really did anything in that altercation. And I think in that situation, the referee needs to like have that perspective in mind of being like, all right, this is the second one. He's going to get ejected. Or like for a yellow card in soccer, I don't really think you should have that in mind. Like if you deserve a yellow card, you deserve one. Where a technical, there, there's a lot more gray area, I think, for a technical than for a yellow card. I definitely think there needs to be like the yellow card has now. I think there needs to be a little more, you know, kind of concrete ruling on what a technical comes from. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I just think, I mean, Greeny, Greeny, Mike Greenberg has a radio show now. He's back on the radio. Congratulations to him. It's so great. Been with us in the last couple of days. And he proposed, you know, the next time out available looking at, technical right. issued and take that technical away i like that yeah. one and i do too Brzingis should have been smarter but like even the second like he didn't throw anything on morris like yeah if anything morris like i agree the clippers are going to do that so like refs be smarter morris was being a pain in the ass Doncic was like come on man that's literally all Doncic said morris tried to be morris and Brzingis just kind of like stepped in and was just like hey that's my point guard on the big guy like yeah, probably should have been smarter, but still he didn't like he didn't throw a punch. Right. And regardless of how like much blame you can put on him for even what he did, which was small, you can't take away from the fact that that first technical was egregious. I mean, what do you want these players to do? They're going full they're going as hard as they can. You make a bad call. Of course he's going to react like that. 
Um, excuse me, if he makes that move in an NBA youth camp to show how to defend, that's a great show yeah. of defense. That is great. It's not only like not a foul, it's actually a great show of defense. So yeah, it was bad. And I think it's so disappointing because now it's going to be hard. Now it's going to be hard for the Mavs. I think they definitely have a chance, but their chances went down by at least 10% now because of that. And it's just really hard to have to come back against the Clippers in four games. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, and we'll see what happens. But I agree. Heat Pacers, such a good game. I mean, really a toss-up. I love the Heat, though. I mean, all bubble. I've loved man. I love the Heat. If the Celtics don't come out of – I mean, I love all the teams out of the East. I love the Raptors. I love the Bucks. I love the Heat. I, I do love any team that comes out of there. Um, but if the Celtics don't can't get past the Raptors, I would love to see the Heat upset. Because they're just such a good team. I'm so glad Jimmy Butler's in a situation that he enjoys now instead of languishing away in Philly. Uh, I also want <laughs> to... just being pissed off at all the time because they're all a bunch of morons. Right. I, I also want to apologize to my girlfriend, Jesse O'Brien, and any of her family members that are listening. I know you're 76ers fans. I don't care, but thank you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. Better. Yeah. Go Birds. Go birds, it's fair. And uh yeah, Thunder Rockets Rockets have been underwhelming. That's just the truth. Obviously, they have so much talent they can move through anybody, but I love the Thunder, so I would love to see them upset. Blazers Lakers, it'll be fun, but I just I I listened to Bill Simmons podcast the other day and you know I was so high on the Blazers. I was like, "Oh man, they're going to push into a game 7." I have since walked back that thought because <laughs> because you know what the thing is? I I I got caught up in the story of it. That's what it is. I got yeah. caught up in Melo coming back. I got caught up in Dame Dalla. I got caught up in CJ McCollum, you know, and, and Yusuf Nurkic playing out of his mind. And while they do have a good offense, you know what they don't have? And when I say don't have, I mean the definition of the phrase don't have, like without lacking defense. They do not. Nurkic couldn't stop me on the post. Right. They have no defense. Like they have nothing absolutely no defense i mean you're looking at these games that they're playing they the reason that dame has to score 50 points a game is because they can't hold out a single freaking bucket it's ridiculous and so there's no way i mean regardless of you're basically saying you have to outscore the lakers while also playing against their much better defense i mean their centers the combination between javel mcgee and dwight howard has been decent and you also obviously have LeBron and AD coming back on defense, unlike the Raptors players. And also, if I'm the Raptors and my second best shooter, Melo. Sh- sorry, yeah. If I'm the Blazers, sorry, red in my head. Yeah, was, you did. yeah, if I'm the Blazers, if I'm a Blazers fan, I'm looking at the team. Carmelo Anthony, as much of a legend as he is, should not be your fourth best player. Like, that should not happen. He should be coming off the bench, providing threes in transition. Fine. But, like, your second best player should be CJ McCollum, and he's got a broken back. Like, what are you going to do with that? Like, yeah. you have to hope that he does well. And I think Yusuf Nurkic is great, but I just don't think they have, they just don't have, yeah, they just don't have what it takes. And, like, uh, they don't have, I mean, like, I think it's been nice to see Melo playing better, but, like, I think we're also, like, just perspective wise, like, he was just such a horrible fit in Houston, a horrible fit in the Thunder. Like, where that's why he looks so bad. Like, I think Melo's still good, but we've set the bar so low. Like, he's mostly just hitting open shots, 
which is great, but like it's not like it's mellow of old that's like really taking over. And he's been he's been a definitely a big contributor, but he he isn't he isn't the mellow that we used to see by any means. Uh, so yeah, like when he's when he's your second best guy, like I I think that's not a great sign for him. It's not a great sign, but we love it. I hope that the Blazers push the Lakers. I do. I would love to see it, but I just don't. Tactically, I don't think it's even possible. You know, I just think that the Lakers are so much better defensively that it doesn't even matter how much the Blazers do offensively. And let's be honest, the Blazers are not better than the Lakers offensively either. So they are. So I have walked that back, and I do, I do see that. And thank you for Bill Simmons for helping me see the light. And don't listen to me, but he listens to Bill Simmons. Come on, guys. All right, Matt, let's not get too high for our britches. This is only our like 13th episode. We're not there yet. Okay. I'm just saying, I tried to convince him before Bill Simmons. Right, right. You know what happened? You were you were being you were being nice about it, and Bill Simmons literally was like, Are you freaking stupid? <laughs> like they are so bad defensively. Like they have nobody, you dumbass. And I was like, I think I needed somebody to tell me that. Well, next That's time I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be attuned to that and I'll call you a dumbass. There you go. I know you have it in you. I know you have it in you. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So we're going to do something a little fun here for our discussion section. Speaking of NBA, we're going to give out the two Beers, Please NBA awards for 2020. And uh, Matt, since These you – Yes, exactly. And this kind of includes the play before coronavirus as well as bubble play, just so we're clear. It does not include just the NBA bubble. And yeah, Matt, why don't you get us kicked off? Where do you want to start? I'll let you choose where you want to start here. Ooh, man, that's that's tough. I guess we should. I guess we should save MVP for last. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So well, let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Sixth man of the year. Beautiful. Who you got? I'm gonna go. I'm watching them right now. Also, I'm about to have to eat my words. The Magic are up 13 on the Bucks. A lot, of, lot, a lot of game to play here. But uh, I hope the changes are else I'm gonna look like a real dumbass. But I'm going to go with a Bucks player. I'm going to go with Dante DiVincenzo, the shooting guard Woo. for the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, I, I think he's just a nice spark plug of instant offense for a team that does rely so much on, like, Giannis and Chris Middleton to get points and really are defensive-minded. When you have a guy like that that you can just bring off the uh, the bench, isn't afraid, isn't afraid to shoot, can shoot, can take it to the rim – it uh, it's a big difference maker. I think it, it can be incalculable sometimes, like how much that instant offense off the bench can be. We've seen it from Lou Williams. I think there's a lot of like I was close to picking a Clippers player, but I also think the Clippers bench just in general is so strong that like going with one of them, I think it's like almost le- less impactful. So I'm gonna go Dante Divincenzo. Who do you got for mo- or six man? Yeah, I Dante DiVincenzo, I've loved watching him since his Villanova days. So I'm Dang. so happy. I've I loved him at Villanova so much. He and I so just better in the pros than I thought he'd be. Right. Who thought that was gonna happen? I was like, oh wow, look at this sniper in the college days. Yeah. That was nice. But he's just continued and it's so much fun. And I wish him the best. And yeah, I did go with a Clippers player. And it's funny that you said it's hard to go with one because I gave my award as like a twofer. So I said, you have to give the award to either Montrez Harrell or Lou Williams. And I yeah. think, obviously, Montrez Harrell didn't play in the bubble. He had his first game yesterday, and and he did poorly. So it's hard to say. But also, yesterday's the playoffs. We're not counting playoffs. No. So 
obviously season. You're allowed to have some tough games. Right, exactly. So Montrez Harrell, like, before coronavirus hit, was such a strong player. I mean, really an energized two-way player, and and he just came in and he gave the Clippers so much advantage there. And Lou Williams stepping up after Montrezl Harrell, especially in the bubble, after Montrezl Harrell couldn't come and becoming that sixth man that we know he is. And obviously, <laughs> He's Lou the Williams, greatest sixth man of all time. There's it is the Lou that. Williams Award. So I think... Uh, yeah. I, 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 I say we start a petition to get it called the Lou Williams Award. Yeah, and I think Lou Williams has a good chance of winning it again. But I, I would I would say, of those two, I think you give it to Montrezl Harrell. And if you don't, I think you just... Freaking give it to Lou Williams again. <laughs> Only two players have ever won the Six Man of the Year award multiple times. Lou Williams has done it three times, and Jamal Crawford has done it three times. And, oh, they're, I love and, Jamal both, and they're both like, you know, DiVincenzo, where like literally just instant offense. Like you bring those guys in, and they're going to get buckets for you. Right. I mean, Dante might not win this year, but he's a six man coming real soon. Real soon. If he keeps playing the way that he is on a team that he has. And yeah, why don't we move to most improved? We talked about that. Uh, I'll start off with this one. Maybe I'm a little biased, so bear with me on this. <laughs> and it's not most improved because he was bad or because he was injured, but Jason Tatum is my most improved player of the year. In his first year, he was a promising rookie. In his second year, he was an important player. He has moved to... NBA top player status. I mean, Jason Tatum is never a player you want to play against in his third season. He scored 32 points last night, like you said, willed the Celtics past the 76 years on an off day, and you saw the improvement, the scoring, the swagger, the leadership, the capacity for working with other stars like Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. He's a top three wing defender for me as well. He can drive, he can shoot, he has the three, he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's made the Celtics a contender more than any other player on that team. You know, I think the Celtics, without him playing the way that he is, are a good bunch. They're like the thunder for me. You know, they're like a good team, but nothing special. And with them, all of a sudden, there's talks that they can defeat the Raptors, which is crazy. The fact that that's even in conversation, the way the Raptors are playing. So for me, most improved player, Mr. Jason Tatum. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against, like, Tatum's improvement. I was I was even leaning towards a guy like Luca, but I think for me, like Luca and for Tatum, both of those improvements, I think I saw coming. Um, like I, they both were clearly stars in the making. So for me, my most improved, it, it's more of one where like, oh dang, that kind of that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, so I went with Bam Adebayo down there in Miami. He's become I think their second best player, and he does everything. He scores. He, he's developed a really nice jumper. He can pass the ball. He rebounds. He defends all five positions. He's come from like Tatum and Doncic were already kind of like centerpieces that have just gotten better. Where like Bam Adebayo has become kind of like a, a small role player to like a, a crucial part of the Miami Heat and what they're doing. He's part of the reason they've been so good this year. So I go with Bam because the, his his improvement kind of came out of left field, or at least this this big of a jump kind of came out of left field for me. Yeah, I mean, people saw him as kind of a like a disappointment when he came in a little bit. So I, I am happy for him. I think, yeah, I hated watching him play against the Celtics because he just truly took over. I mean, he's I mean he's a hard. freak athlete. The guy's like he's six nine and is quick, fast. 
And so like now just the amount of like skill that he's he's developed, especially in the passing game, is, has really impressed me. For sure. Why don't you give our next award, buddy? All right. Let's go to uh, – let's do defensive player. Okay. And I'm going to go – this one was a tough one for me, but I, I think he deserves it. I'm going Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, he just – he impacts the game so much with his size and his length. Of course, he can grab rebounds like it's nothing. Impact shots with his shot blocking. Just disrupts passing lanes with that length. Um, sometimes I think, you know, like the best players don't get acknowledged in this role. I mean, I think it's a, it, I think it's criminal that LeBron has never won best defensive player. It is yeah. astounding to me. Um, but I think, I think Giannis deserves it this year. I think he's got a good chance of winning it. If he wins this and wins MVP, it would be the first time that the MVP and defensive player have been the both have been the same player since Hakeem Olajuwon back in the 1993-1994 season, and he won the championship that year. So it would be a good omen for him. But um, yeah, I think I think Giannis just deserves it this year. He just does so much, especially to like I said mentioned earlier, the Bucks are the best defensive team. So you've got I think their best defender on a team that has easily been the best defensive team in the NBA. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. I also have Giannis. I, I, for me, it was, yeah, it was a hard one as well. Obviously, there's so, there's so many good choices here, but I think Giannis also edges it out for me. I have a number for you, uh, 41.8%. What do you think that number is? Oh, gosh. Um, I would guess that is opponent's field goal percentage against Giannis. It is the amount of times... The, the percentage of shots made at the rim when Giannis is around them, not even when he's guarding them. When Giannis is in the paint, opponents only finish 41.8%. Not only does he have literally every defensive arsenal tool that he can have, he has no weak spot in my opinion, really. He can guard every position. And he's got a fear factor where players simply can't make shots around him. Yeah. Well, and he's so just, big, like his help defense, he can come help in like two steps and he's there. Right. I mean, he's he doesn't to be near you and he's going to be a, a good help defender. Right, exactly. So I, I think Giannis is a pretty good choice here. And I see that we agree on that. Uh, from here, let's move to rookie of the year. This will be interesting. I don't know if we'll agree on this one. Uh, for me, despite the play in loss, I think I have to go with, John Morant. He is a generational talent at the guard position. And for me, the big difference with him and some of the other players, I mean, he is a driving superstar now. He brought the Grizzlies to the play-in game for the playoffs now. And I think to do that as a rookie is so, so impressive. And yeah, I, I my pick is John Morant. I, I'm right there with you, man. I, I picked John Morant as well. Um, I think, you know, I think it was obvious how incredible Zion was. Zion had a great year, but for me, he didn't play enough. You know, if, if Zion had played more quite close to a full year, maybe I would go Zion. Um, but, but he didn't, um, jaw was there the whole year. And like you said, they lost that playing game, but like technically were the eighth seed. I think, no, no, they dropped to the ninth seed. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's for a team that had the second pick last year. So, like, the amount of, of what he did to elevate their play, obviously it wasn't just Ja. A guy like Jaron Jackson played better. Other role players, Dylan Brooks, played better and such and such. But um, I, I think his impact on the team was so obvious, and I, I totally agree with you, John Moran. It's going to be fun to see kind of the 
the Zion jaw. I mean, it's fun when you get like two guys that are that talented in the same draft class and you kind of see where their where their stars will rise to because I think they both have a chance to be very impactful players in the league. Definitely. Absolutely. It's always going to be fun. So many good young players. The NBA is going to be fun to watch for the next 30 years. <laughs> Truly. I there's like that's the thing I love about the NBA right now. It's like there's so many teams where you're like, like the Grizzlies that were like the ninth seed and the Pelicans who missed out, the Suns missed out. And you're like, I still want to watch those guys. I still want to watch those teams, which normally isn't the case. But there's right. so at many the, good stars and so many good teams. Yeah. I mean, look at the Atlanta Hawks. They have Trey Young. Yeah. I'd watch them any day of the week as For well. Sure. Absolutely. Oh, All right. Let's pivot to, I think this one was my toughest choice. Let's go to coach of the year. Um, I... I weighed a lot of guys here. I think, you know, Nick Nurse, obviously incredible what he's done with the Raptors to still be the two seed, losing Kawhi, all the injuries. I mean, that team was never healthy. Um, Nate McMillan with the Pacers. I think the Pacers have been really, really impressive. But for me, at the end of the day, when you really weighed it, I think it has to be Billy Donovan. Uh, I mean, the OKC Thunder were supposed to be a bottom dweller. I mean, they were they were supposed to be getting ready for the NBA lottery draft, you know, th- this coming week. And instead – they're the four seed in the Western Conference. I mean, it's it's been just a tremendous job by by Billy Donovan. I think he's been aided, of course, with the the veteran play of, of a guy like Chris Paul and Shea Gildress Alexander's kind of elevation of his play. But um, I've been extremely impressed with Billy Donovan. I think it's been his easily best year as a coach. Yeah, I mean, so many options here to pick. Obviously, you have Billy Donovan. For me, Mike Budenholzer. From the Bucks. I mean, even with Giannis, the fact that the team that he's put together is ridiculous. I did go, however, with Nick Nurse. I think just what he's done with that Raptors team is redonkulous. I mean, how do you keep a team, arguably the most scary in the East, other than Bucks, despite losing your best player? I mean, he is responsible for Pascal Siakam's growth. He has made Fred Van Fleet into a creative Steph Curry-like player, which is ridiculous. And he switches the Raptors' tactics every game, so they're always a hard matchup. I mean, you look at some of the players that he's made into, like, really good players, like bench-wise anyway. OG Ananobi, Chris Boucher, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Those players were irrelevant other places. Like, absolutely irrelevant. Hollis-Jefferson, the fact that he's playing on the Raptors is so funny to me, and... He just knows how to use players, every single player. Obviously, he's aided by Kyle Lowry, who's playing always, you know, really great. And Siakam's a good player. Uh, but, I mean, I think you got to look at Van Fleet. We talked about it. The fact that Van Fleet is allowed to play the way that he's playing, I think that's all coaching, really. I, I really do. And he's got a rapid His ability just to get, like, the full value out of every single one of his players from, from 1 to 12 is – I don't know if I've ever seen it, honestly, out of an NBA coach. Right. I, yeah. Honestly, it, Pop, Popovich, I would probably say, has, can do the same thing. But like, it's it's far and few between that you see a guy just like truly get the best out of every single person person that's on his roster. Right. Exactly. Honestly, if I'm a team that is, I get Nick Nurse. You know, from the Raptors, he's not going to be there forever. I get him, honestly, truthfully. But yeah, I pick Nick Nurse amazing but i said so many great coaches obviously billy donovan what he's done with the thunder is never going to happen again i mean truthfully it's crazy i've never seen something like that happen but i picked nick nurse so let's go to i think yeah let's go to best team best team best team this is hard 
This is a hard one because like, how do you pick best team? There's so many factors. Uh, I went for a team and we talked about them already. I just think they're so complete. I just don't even know how there's very little to point at. And I go with the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, I just think with Giannis, obviously, but you got Pat Connaughton, you have the emergence of DiVincenzo off the bench, the emergence of George Hill, who also could, you know, kind of have that six man vibe. You know, you have uh, uh, Ilya Sova playing well when he comes in, Chris Middleton, obviously, uh, Budenholzer at the helm. The Lopez the, twins. The Lopez twins, obviously. And I just, I very few weaknesses. And to be a great offensive team, like with Giannis, and then also be the best defensive team in the NBA, for me, they are the best team. Yeah, I mean, I can't really argue against the Bucks' choice. Um, I'm going to go with with the the team coached by Mr. Nick Nurse. I'm going with the Raptors. Um, and just kind of like I said earlier about his ability to maximize the value of every single one of his players. Um, they've been they lose Kyrie. Kyrie. They they literally their whole their starting lineup has not been healthy all year. Like Lowry was out, Gasol was out, Siakam's been out. And it's been this rotating door and guys just keep on coming up and they keep on filling. I mean, next man up that is what the Raptors like truly embody. Um, and it's been impressive to see. I, I like, I think they just Siakam, I think is becoming a star. And, and of course, Kyle Lowry is an all-star, but they don't really have, especially after losing Ka- Kawhi, like that, like big time player. And so I think like as a team, they just, they just play so well as a team and, and as a unit. So I went with, I went with the Raptors. I love that. And notice, people, how both of our teams were not out of the quote-unquote stacked West. That's so funny to me, both of them. All right, Matt, give me the big one. The MVP. The MVP. I I mentioned the stat earlier about defensive player and MVP being the same for the first time since 1994. I'm going Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's been the best player on the best team. He impacts the floor, not only offensively, but defensively. Um, just just the amount of stuff that he can do and does do for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I think I was, I, you know, I gave LeBron a bit of a thought, um, especially with, the, I mean, the ability to, to lead the league and assist this year was, was tremendous. But I just, I think it's Giannis's award. Yeah, I, I agree. I also, LeBron was a close second for me, closer than I thought when I was really looking into it. And obviously the way that he's changed his game in order to, you know, facilitate Anthony Davis being as effective as he can be is nothing short of legendary. I, you know, obviously a goat in his own right, but I find it very hard. You can't contain Giannis offensively and he can contain no matter who you are defensively. And for me, that makes it hard to vote against him regardless of if you're LeBron James or not. And I just think, he just doesn't have a weak spot in his game right now. And you can only hope that he doesn't go off too hard on you. So I think it is Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I think that the Bucks are going to be very hard to beat, regardless of who you are in the NBA. So those are the two Bears, please, awards for the, the NBA. NBA awards. The NBA awards will be excited to get. on your mantle, guys. Well done. You well done. I mean, you guys can pack up and go home. You got the big one. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, leave Orlando. Yeah. Leave the bubble. It's Larry who? I don't know. <laughs> so really, I think 
<laughs> I think that uh, it's the most important award. So congratulations from us to you. All right, so we're going to do something kind of cool here. Uh, me and Matthew are in a fantasy football league together. Uh, not either of our only ones, but we are in one together. Uh, I'm actually league manager for it, so that's why we are doing this here. And, second uh, place last year. Let's go. Yeah, Matt came back to second place last year. I did not make the playoffs, but that's we're not going to talk about that. I got ripped on on draft night. I said, just you watch, suckers. And they yeah, and those yeah, well, except the person that got first. Right. Olaf. <laughs> Olaf. Olaf. But, yeah, we're going to do something fun here. We're going to pick the draft order for our NFL draft. And how we're going to do this is you can't see, but Matt has a hat with the names. Uh, sorry, with the numbers. Yeah, I have. Hey, well, I got the names. <laughs> I guess everyone's going to be known by a number now. <laughs> he has the numbers. He'll pick a number out of a hat. I'll pick a name out of a hat, and that's what the draft order will be. And so if you're just tuning in now because you're in our league, welcome. You should be listening already because I'm your friend and Matt's your friend, and we're all in this together. But I'm glad you're listening in to figure what this is because guess what, suckers? I wasn't going to tell you what it was unless you listen in. So that's how you get how you get it. You just had to guess. That's You just had to guess. Okay, here we go, Matt. Let's pick the first one here. All right, the first number. I'll show it to you on uh, on the camera so that you'll know I'm not lying to you. I believe I mean, you, man. They won't be I able mean, to see it, but yeah. you will. Well, yeah. All right, the first number. I've, I feel like I'm going to pick, like, number one at first. Ooh! Number, number two? two? Okay, number two is going to... Oh, baby! You see it? No, you don't see it. No. Oh, baby! The reaction made me think it was you, though. <laughs> oh, it's me. I get the number two pick. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful we love am i gonna take patrick mahomes with the number two pick i might <laughs> you'll have to see i fucking might all right you, i bet go. you freezed i bet you freezed yours so you knew which one it was like the uh, old new york uh knicks draft lottery conspiracy oh my goodness well wow. did you see this the conspiracy about the uh the nhl draft lottery no what that, like i think like that the rangers one was like heavier or something because then, like, that's why the guy, like, slipped it or something in the video. I I didn't look up specifics, but it was kind of a funny conspiracy. That is funny. All right. All right. The next one. Yeah. Number five. Number five goes to, not you, Matthew Murray. Number five. Mr. Matthew, Murray. Mr. Murray, you get number five. I hope that's okay with you. I know that draft order is important. All right. I don't hope it's okay with him. Too bad. <laughs> All right. Here we go. <laughs> this is a competition, Yannick. All right. Number three. We got Mr. Grant Ewing. Thank you, Grant Ewing. Wow. You, Grant. You've all picked high ones. That's so yeah, funny. Like the good picks are going kind of first. All right. Here we go. What's next, buddy? All right. Here we are. The next one is... Number seven. Number seven. This is going to be an interesting pick. I think number seven pick could be a big one because you do get to have those decisions. And here's who I got. It's going to be me. No, it's Mr. Hogan Knot. Hogan Knot. Number seven. Number seven. All right. We've got, what, five more? No. Five more. Six more. Six more. more. I'm really good at counting. 
Right. All right. I have mine picked. What do you got? Woohoo, it's the big one. It's number one. And let's see who I picked. And the winner from last year gets the number one wow. pick, Mr. Olaf Sunleaf. Congratulations, Mr. Olaf Sunleaf. That is quite the accomplishment. Oh, they're getting caught in the hat. Now I see where they're at. That's <laughs> big. One, two, and three are all off the board. Oh, my goodness. So we still got a top pick, and we'll see who gets the last pick as well. All right. I got mine picked. The last pick of the first round is Mr. Deepon Sarkar. I don't I don't feel bad about this because he knocked me out of the playoffs on the last day. So that's what you get. That that's what you get. get. Deepon, that's what you get. All right. All right. You got what? Four more? Yeah, four more. All right. I'm the ready. Next one is pick number eight. Pick number eight. Mr. Liam Brecky. Congratulations, Mr. Liam Brecky. Donkey Kongs, I think his team name is. So congratulations. Fun name. All right. All right. The next one is number four. Number four goes to Mr. Derek Steffen. Number four. Derek Previous Steffen. winner a couple years ago. And he is always a formidable challenge. We got two more, I believe. Yes, sir. All right, I have mine. Number nine. Number nine goes to Mr. Ryan Collins. Congratulations, number nine, which means how did you pick yourself last? That's I don't so know. Funny. Number six. Number six, Mr. Take, Matthew Smith. Six. Number six is a good pick. I love that. All right, so that is the draft order. I will tell it to you one more time. With the first pick of the draft, we have the reigning champion, Olaf Sunleaf. Number two, we've got yours truly, Yannick. Grant with the number three. Derek with the number four. Matthew Murray with the number five. And then we've got Matthew Smith with the number six. Both maths going back to back in this draft. Hogan with the seven. Liam with the eight. Ryan Collins with the nine. And last but not least, Mr. Deepon Sarkar. It will be a fun season. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. That was so much fun. I mean, next week we're going to have so much to talk about. We'll be talking about round two of the NHL and NBA uh, at some point, and that'll be fun. We'll have the Champions League and Europa League winners. And, um, you know, maybe I'll have jumped off a bridge by then, but, you know, hopefully not. Hopefully I'm still here. Uh, We'll see. Uh, The longer this goes. Dark corner as usual. Right. The longer this goes, the darker my thoughts get if something yeah. goes poorly. So uh, that's how I'll be. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll either be a trouble winner or I'll be the most disappointed man, you know, person on the planet. You know, besides, you know, Melania Trump. But other than that, everybody else doesn't come close. <clears throat> anyway, uh, let's get a- <laughs> sorry. Let's get a shout out for the week, huh, buddy? <laughs> All right, I uh, we didn't talk much baseball today, so I thought I'd go the baseball route. I'm going to go with your ex-Boston Red Sox, current Los Angeles Dodger, Mookie Betts. A three-run or three-home run game last week. He is now tied with Sammy Sosa and Johnny Mize for the most such games in MLB history. He hasn't missed a beat since moving to LA. Still one of the best players in the league. Still one of the best hitters in the league, and uh, pretty impressive. Six three home run games like that. 
that's a lot of home runs. And to, uh, anytime you're doing an MLB record, that's uh, that's a long history. So my shout out is to Mr. Mookie Betts, still killing it, still raking out there in LA. Yeah, I'm gonna look past the fact that you went out of your way to bring up something disappointing for me <laughs> for your well, shout out. Trade <laughs> him to LA. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, my shout out. My shout out is also baseball related, and it's something kind of cool that happened in the game yesterday night between the Dodgers and the Mariners. The Dodgers won eleven to seven, but the highlight was that Corey Seager played his other brother Kyle Seager, and they both scored home runs. It's the first time in history that two brothers have scored. Home runs in the same game. Aww. Congratulations to the Seegers brother, the Seegers family overall. And yeah, that's my shout out. The Seeger brothers. All right. Last but not least, let's move to quick fire questions that I'll be leading this yeah, week. Yeah, right back on the hot seat. Back on the hot seat. And I've got some good ones for you. All right. We talked about it. Only French and German teams in the Champions League semifinals. Is this a fluke or is it a sign of a, the emergence of leagues that have been overlooked in comparison to the Premier League and La Liga? Um, I don't know if I want to call it a fluke, but I don't think it's like a sign towards anything bigger. Um, I think like you see, you see this stuff happen every now and then um, with like a certain league. I mean, the Spanish team has had like three teams in the semifinals before. So, I mean, I don't think it's like real and really a necessary, like, oh, the French seed or French uh, league is rising. Might be a sign of like Bundesliga kind of getting more competitive and stuff. Um, so, I don't, that doesn't really answer the question because I don't like, I don't think it's a fluke, but I don't okay. really think like. Let's, let's, let's stick with the sign then. Do you think it's a sign that the leagues are getting stronger or just like a situational thing? I think it's a sign that the Bundesliga is getting stronger. I don't really think that for Liga Earn. Okay. Good to good to know. That is that is an answer. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me dance around the question for Let me not answer the question yeah. that I'm being directly posed. So here are the and, two options and um <laughs> and I'm going to pick the third one that you didn't say. There you go. Uh, my second quick fire question. I don't know about you heard if you heard about this, so let me just like walk you through the situation. Um, and in case you didn't, Fernando Tatis Jr. leading the leading the MLB in home runs did something that got him in a little controversy the other night. He hit a grand slam when his team was up seven in the eighth, despite getting the signal to take a walk. Got a lot of heat from it from the other team. You know, Machado got a a ball thrown at him the next hitter as a sign of a retaliation. Obviously Tatis Jr. came out and said, I, I was kind of keyed in on the game. I didn't see the signal. Um, people don't really want to take that apology. How do we feel? Did Fernando Tatis Jr. do anything wrong? What do you people want him to do? He's, <laughs> paid, to pay, he's paid to play baseball. So if you're going to throw him a pitch that he can smoke out of the stadium, then that's what he's supposed to freaking do. I'm so done with baseball unwritten rules. Luckily, most of my like good baseball friends I've seen be on the side of, of Fernando Tatis Jr. I think I think even most baseball people are, are like, this is ridiculous. And it is. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The guy is is paid to play the game. Do you want him to go up there and be like, well, I'm not gonna try anymore? We won. Like, screw that. No, he's he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, I agree. And also 
of course, the signal thing is the one thing I'm like, yeah, he's a young guy. He was in the game. He didn't see the signal. He should pay a little more attention, maybe. But I don't think hitting the home run, hitting a grand, you're going to you're going to dock him for hitting a grand slam. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, I get it if you're the Mariners because you're in that game and you're kind of pissed. But for anybody else, it's like, oh, I'm sorry that he hit a grand slam. Like, what do you want him to do? It's not his fault that you're already getting your ass kicked and then you give him a pitch that's an easy grand slam. Like, I, come on. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I just think, oh, PSG just grabbed the lead against Leipzig. It is 1-0 in the 13th minute thanks to Marquinhos. That is live. But, yes, I, I agree. I think Fernando Tatis Jr. had every right to hit that pitch. And I, I think it's ridiculous. Also, we're acting like a team can't score seven runs in an inning. They absolutely can. Like, you have one pitcher that doesn't know what he's doing, and all of a sudden you're zero outs and it's only a two-run lead. Like, it's very easy to do that. So I also don't think it's crazy that it's like the game was over. And it's like, well, if the game is over, guys, call the game. Stop the game there. Don't give Fernando Tatis Jr. an inning to hit. Like, I don't know what you want him to do. I agree. The next time in the NBA when somebody has a wide open shot and their team's up 20 in the fourth quarter, they better not make it. They yeah. better make it. Otherwise, they're bad sportsmen. Yeah, this I is agree. so stupid. That is ridiculous. You're crybabies and we hate you. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and my last quick fire question related to college football. Obviously, lots of controversy. We talked about it last week and a lot of it surrounding Nebraska, who basically said that, you know, they're going to look for other options now that the Big Ten is called out. Obviously, Justin Fields from Ohio State leading a charge to reinstate the Big Ten. And as much as I love the hate that Nebraska has gotten over the last two weeks, like it, it, it makes me happy in my soul to hear so many people rag on Nebraska. Desmond Howard just been going in on them. <laughs> Truthfully, I just no one ever cares about Nebraska as much as Iowa fans to rag on them. So this is how we've been talking for like the last decade. But yeah. I just love that it's a national thing that everyone is just ragging on them. But do you think it's earned? I mean, should teams be able to leave their conferences and play with other leagues if their leagues have decided to shut down? <sighs> I'm like, I don't know, because I think it is. I think it is like a, a more difficult question than like just being like, "Oh, you're a bad team for doing that." But there is like, I think like Desmond Howard has said before, like you don't really get to reap the like the benefits of being in the conference of then at like other times. They're like, "All right, this isn't working for me right now. I'm dipping. I'm done." So like, it doesn't really seem totally. I mean, if that's what you want to be, then be like Notre Dame. Like part of the reason that Notre Dame is able to join this ACC thing is because they don't have a conference. Um, and I understand like Notre Dame's got their own TV deal with NBC that makes them lots of money and such and such. There's other factors, but I don't really know if you get to just be like, like, I, th I think it would have been better if they like, if they, they went to the big 10 and were like, Hey, like we feel like we can play safe. We understand it's not like this, like for the conference. So you guys don't want to do it, but like, we'd like to still try and play instead of this. Like, it feels like Nebraska's acted kind of childish about it because like, I don't think just inherently being like, Hey, we'd like to still try and play isn't necessarily a bad thing. But like the way they've gone about it, just being like, well, we're still going to play. Take this big 10. Like we're going to show you like, I also, you're not in Nebraska 20 years ago. So like, I, I don't know what national brand you think you are anymore, but yeah, I don't think inherently it's a bad thing. Okay. Yeah. 
like, what would you say Ohio State wants to leave the Big Ten for this season? What do you say to them? Well, you know, I mean, it's not like, I guess maybe too, that's the, like the language, because like, I think playing outside of your conference, if your conference isn't playing, is different than like, quote unquote, leaving the the conference, you know? So I think even like, I think even just like the language that like the schools or programs are using could be better like used um, or like just better word choices to be, to be used by it. Because like leaving the big 10, like then you're like, yeah, then fine. All right. See ya. Um, but like trying to still play football outside of the big 10, like they're kind of two different things. So I, I, would, I would, I personally would have no problem with it. Like as a, as an idea, as a concept. Cool. Yeah, I agree. I think, I, especially in this time, it might be something that's okay to do right now. Uh, I also hate Nebraska, though, so I don't give them anything. And that's just – that's I just, just – I just don't know why they think they're still, like, nationally relevant. Like, even Notre Dame, like, needs to check itself. But, like, Nebraska super needs to check itself. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. And that is that for the quick fire questions. Thank you for joining us for this episode. It's been a lot of fun. Sports are heating up, and we will continue to stay on top of it. But for now, stay safe, wear a mask, register to vote, and thank you for coming. Wear a condom. Cheers. Cheers. That's my thing.